Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Evening Standard of the D1T in 5 for Thursday, August 24th. Let's jump into today's top stories. Outgoing South Dakota AD David Herbster reflects on his time at USD and remarks that the coaches can win over the student-athletes, but one of my roles was to really engage with the parents and assure them that we realize and value the fact that you're going to trust your most prized possession with us, and that's your baby. And I look at our coaches and any time I've ever hired a coach, kind of the last box they have to check for me was, would I let you coach my own children, my own kids? On what advice he'd give to his successor, Herbster says, follow your heart, follow your gut, don't take no for an answer. Realize that you're being entrusted with 430 athletes who are all looking to you for guidance. These coaches are looking to you for guidance, and you've got to be strong, you have to be able to relate and communicate. Take your vision and make sure that it's a vision that everybody buys into and do not ever give up on pushing that vision. Lead One CEO Tom McMillan tells on Three's Eric Prisbell he's hopeful, but not hugely optimistic, that a federal NIL bill is in the cards this calendar year. McMillan said, there will not be a bill in Congress that comes out that codifies non-employment status. It's dead on arrival. And so there's going to be round two. Round two is going to be much more important, much more existential. McMillan reiterates the need for an aggressive plan B, adding, I think they have to take litigation risk. They should have probably done that in the very beginning. What happened was they created a vacuum. And all the NIL bad actors and aggressive actors went into the vacuum. And you're better off addressing it and coming up with a plan than having either Congress or the courts throw it in your lap. Asked to pick a bill that could likely gain traction, Macmillan notes, Manchin, even the Blumenthal, Moran and Booker bill, those bills are really good bills. When I look at the driver here, it's going to be the Commerce Committee. Maria Cantwell, the chair, has been very quiet. Their staff is going to try to piece together a compromise. It will be pieces of all those bills. Moran is in a very good position because he is on that committee. Cruz is in a very important position because he is on that committee. Chances are their voice is going to be a little louder than anyone else's voice. Former Maryland-slash-NC State AD Debbie Yao, at the risk of sounding naive, believes North Carolina Chancellor Kevin Guskiewicz and NC State Chancellor Randy Woodson are interested in protecting one another in regards to conference realignment. I don't have inside information on that, but I think when you're talking about this type of subject, you would do well to cling to those that you know well and that you worked with for 100 years or so in terms of making these choices. Yao also acknowledges it's surprising that UNC and Duke do not appear to be similarly aligned. Yao said, I would love to better understand the rationale because we think we know what we know, and we won't really know until things are in court. Extra Points publisher Matt Brown examines why Conference USA opted to sign a grant of rights and reports that everybody I spoke to told me that the grant of rights provision was part of the media rights negotiation with ESPN and CBS. Everybody I talked to also believed that the new media rights deal, even with several conference games being moved to the middle of the week, is substantially better than what the league had before, both in terms of linear exposure opportunities, and in rights fees, and if signing a GOR was a necessary step to secure that deal, then it was worth it. Brown also notes it would be pretty expensive for a member to leave this year for another conference opportunity, but unlike say, the ACC's GOR, a school isn't going to need to borrow money from a private equity group to leave. One AD tells Brown the GOR is one of the many reasons why he's sleeping a little better at night, since he can feel more confident in the league's stability, for at least the short term. 
Army West Point Athletic Association has begun turning over the first batch of what could eventually be thousands of pages of financial and contractual records that it has previously refused to make public, Sportico's Daniel Libet and Eben Novi Williams report, adding that, among the records turned over this week was the original 20-page agreement, dated February 2017, that laid out the relationship between the U.S. Army and the AWPA, a 501c3 nonprofit. From 2017 to 2022, the military earmarked $82.4 million to assist the AWPA in its annual operations, money that was used alongside department revenue to fund Black Knights athletics. Further, the agreement shows the Army gave the AWPA all of the existing Black Knights sports equipment, facilities and offices, and committed to funding future venue maintenance and housing for select athletics employees. The AWPA pays for all its travel, insurance, recruiting expenses, game day logistics, summer camps and most other operations. Some people working within the AWPA are considered government employees, others are not. Thank you for tuning in to the Evening Standard of the D1T in 5 for Thursday, August 24th. We'll see you back here bright and early tomorrow morning.